Welcome to the Center for Internet Security's podcast, Cybersecurity Where You Are. Cybersecurity affects us all, whether we are at home, managing a company, supporting clients, or even running a state or local government. Join CIS's Sean Atkinson and Tony Sager as they discuss trends and threats, ways to implement controls and infrastructure, explore best practices, and interview experts in the industry. We are here to bring clarity to these complex issues to bring confidence in the connected world. Hello and welcome to the CIS podcast, Cybersecurity Where You Are. I'm Sean Atkinson. Uh, we have a great show lined up for you, uh, but unfortunately the remote audio at times is a bit broken up today. Uh, we did everything we could to fix the issue and hopefully you stick with us for the duration of this episode. We have Ryan Spellman here today with us. Ryan, do you want to just give us a quick uh, few lines about you, your job and, and what you're doing right now? Sure. Uh, so again, thank you, Sean, for having me, and thanks to the CIS audience for, for tuning in. Uh, you know, I think I'm very lead here. I used to be a CIS employee a long time ago, uh, uh, so it's really a privilege to come back and, and chat uh, on these topics. Uh, but now today, I work for uh, the Coral Cyber Clarity 360 team over at Duff and Phelps. Um, my job there is to help people better understand their third-party cyber risk posture. So I work with uh, corporate clients to better understand, okay, we have all these third parties, these vendors we work with, what's their cybersecurity posture, what's our regulatory obligation, uh, and I support the team and our platform and our product, and, you know, I try to do as much as I can to just kind of raise awareness on the issue of, you know, best practices and third-party cyber risk. So real pleasure to be on here to talk about that issue with you here, Sean. Oh, fantastic. Again, I think with our 2020 and everything that we've seen, it's uh, a, a really great to have an expert on that we can talk to and try and understand and see what we're doing that's right and maybe what we're doing that's wrong. And uh, so it's great to have you, Ryan. Great to see you again. And uh, so, Ryan, the way uh, I want to start this off is what's the biggest misconception that you see today in terms of third party risk management? Uh, yeah, I think when we're thinking about you know third party risk management generally and, and third party set risk management in specific, um, it's that that it has to be that it has to be a check the box exercise, right? I think that's the biggest misconception. A lot of people say, "Oh, I, I did what I needed to do. I had a call with a, a, a an entity that manages a significantly large amount of money, and I started talking about their, what they're doing currently for third party cyber risk." I said, "Oh, we, we spent about four hours on it." I'm like, "Oh, four hours per per, per vendor?" I said, "No, four hours total." And I was like, "Oh, that's probably not enough." Uh, but you know, you can interpret the regulations as you want to interpret them. So I think for many people, it's like, "Hey, I, I, I sent out some questions." And that's what, you know, that's all I have to do, right? I have to send a bunch of questions to somebody and I get an answer. And, and that might be fine, right? You know, to meet the terms of the letter of the law, but that's not really making a difference in terms of risk, right? You're not really uh, improving yourself. You're not really uh, taking the time to interact with your vendors, better understand their risk posture, their struggles or challenges, try to build a strategy that makes sense. Uh, that's a reasonable approach to risk. Uh, a lot of times that's due to resources, right? Third party cyber risk is a relatively new discipline and something that many people are still struggling to align the right resources for. But I think that's the biggest misconception is that, oh, I, I just need to do bump, 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 and I'm done, right? There's no other work involved. Right. It's not really the case, especially if you want to do it right. Right. No, 100%. So, you know, I guess the way I'd look at it, Ryan, is, you know, we've been in that space too, is what's the best way to try and do that assessment? And the one thing I've found, and, and you know, we receive these questionnaires the same as uh -huh. anybody now. We're, you know, we're, we're in this kind of questionnaire vendor environment. And the problem I see, and or maybe let's say this is a misconception, is that the same questionnaire fits everybody, you know, fits every use case. 
And so I'm just going to repeat and send the same exact questions. Mm-hmm. And so when I receive these things, and you know, I'm sure you've experienced the same thing, it's, it, it, this has nothing to do with the service that we're providing. Why are you asking about, you know, these particular elements? And it, you know, it becomes just an NA on, you know, we, we can't answer the question or no, or, um, you know, those types of things. Is Have you seen any improvement in that space at this point? So it's funny, right? That's a great, great question. And, and I have seen that all the time. I mean, there, there is a standardization in the industry, a drive to ask the same questions. Um, and it's gotten different approaches, right? Some people feel like it's better because if I answer one, right? If I do, uh, the SIG is a good example of something as a product run shared assessments group. If I answer one SIG, I can send that copy to everybody. Okay, but not everybody has the same focus areas. So you've got two sides of the equation. You've got the corporate entities who have some unique considerations they need to think about. Perhaps they have concerns about offshoring, right? You know, Due to our relationship with XYZ agency or other company or client, we can't have anybody utilizing software or services from certain countries overseas. So that's a very unique thing that's not going to be captured by a standardized questionnaire form. Conversely, when you have these kind of blanket decisions, then you're asking everybody these questions and the caterer is like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm not, you know, developing software in, you know, XYZ country. I just, I'm your caterer, right? So you've got these blanket uh, questions for it. There's a little bit of a logic about asking these blanket questions. I won't lie. I have, uh, sometimes seen some surprising answers like, oh, I didn't know you would ask that. So, yes, actually, even though I'm a caterer, we do have a side business where we develop software in, you know, <laughs> Eastern Ukraine. And they're like, oh, weird. Maybe we don't want to do business with this entity today, considering our clients and the needs. So there is a logic in asking these blanket questions. But I think that's what a lot to my point, you know, beforehand, right? How do you think through this, right? You want to provide a reasonable approach to risk. You want to really make sure you can scope the, the questionnaire appropriately. And that's really what it comes down to is like, is the vendor in scope for what you're trying to do? Is the assessment trying to ask them the right scope you want to approach to this? And similarly in response, right? You want to make sure you, you adequately address the issues that are in scope uh, and answer the questions appropriately. So that's kind of a long way of saying, I get your point and I think the industry is moving that way, but there's so much of this like, you know, custom drivers and needs that are still out there with somewhat well-reasoned points that I don't know if we're going to get to that answer anytime soon. Suffice to say, more communication and more of a thought process will hopefully drive it to a better outcome. Absolutely. Absolutely. The way I look at it, Ryan, um, or the way at least I've thought about it is, you know, if I apply, you know, this particular vendor, I use, I have the use case of their utilization within my infrastructure. Mm-hmm. You know, when I'm thinking then about risk, I'm looking at the criticality of that software product service, whatever it happens to mm-hmm. be. And and would that then be allow me to detail a questionnaire that's appropriate? You know, maybe it's not 300 questions, but maybe it's 5, 10, 15, 20, whatever makes sense for the use case at hand. Mm-hmm. But then when it does become critical, then obviously, you know, we, we've we've got to start to build a relationship of sharing this type of information because it's my due diligence as utilizing uh, a service, a product now um, where I have to ask some you know, quite poignant questions. And if I don't have necessarily the right answer, that's then going to force new sets of discussions, right? Especially when you're doing that evaluation. So well, you're, you're talking about a great point. I mean, the, the whole challenge around this is like thinking through, okay, how is this being utilized? And I think for a lot of organizations, you know, the starting point really needs to be, okay, what data is involved, right? Like where, what data is this application, the service, this, this consultant going to be touching, right? And then you work backwards from that in terms of what questions you want to apply, and that goes to the whole idea of, you know, identifying and categorizing your vendors appropriately, which in many ways is that, you know, you don't do that right. It's the, you have the fruit of the poison tree, right? Everything else is flawed. Nothing else is going to work because 
you didn't capture your vendors appropriately or you miscategorize their, your vendor in that process of your supply chain. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, your process, spot on, right? You want to think through, okay, what is this touching? Whether it's the infrastructure, whether it's the, and, and, and the process around it or whatever. And then from there, work towards that assessment vehicle that you want to choose to use here, whether it's questionnaire or other methods, specific questions, that's going to drive a lot of it. So it starts from that, you know, what are we doing? What are, what are they doing with the data? What data? Right? Like, wait a time out here. They're going to touch that? Mm, or, oh, that's fine. Yeah, it's okay. Exactly. No, 100%, 100%. So now, um, from your experience then, what are organizations doing right in this space? Good. It's a good question, right? So there are a lot of organizations who are, I think the last two to three years especially, has been a real awareness of this as an issue. Um, and then, of course, recent events have driven it even further into, you know, corporate boardrooms and thought process. Um, the best things I've seen are there's, there's, there's taking the data and actually making it useful for the enterprise, right? Addressing a, an enterprise level issue. That's huge. And the other half of it's communicating with the vendors appropriately. And I'll talk about the first one. Uh, so they're one of the uh, clients I have in one of the industries that they were really focused in on, a key supplier had a major data breach. And by having a good cyber risk management program where they identified vendors and they had a clarity around their fourth party risk, right? Understanding who their third parties are utilizing. They were able to very quickly go back to the business leaders and say, you know, because I got, of course, that email, and Sean, as you get, I'm like, it's, you know, it's 5 a.m. Did you see the news? Do any of our people use this? They're like, by, by 9 a.m., because they had taken the time to build the right program and ask the right questions, they said, oh, no, we figured out these four vendors use it. We've reached out to them, which is my other point, about communication, and we've shared with them our concerns. We've asked them to provide us information about the compensating controls. That last part about communication is what the really good ones are doing. The really good ones are communicating with their vendors and saying, hey, You've, we've got some concerns about the XYZ control. Please explain what you're doing here. And if they see something that's not right, they're actually communicating like, hey, this is what we want you to try to do, right? And in many cases, some of these entities are just small businesses who have never had a formal risk assessment, who've never had a cybersecurity consultant come in. They may have an outsourced IT provider who, who gets security, right? You know, firewalls are turned on and yeah, make sure stuff is patched and... Uh, you know, maybe they're smart enough to know they should do two-factor for stuff, but then they don't, you know, find out that, oh, you've never done a disaster recovery plan or a BC plan, right? You know, you should do that, right? And that was where the smartest ones, the smartest ones of my clients uh, are really reaching out and saying, let's, let's, here's some guidance, right? Here's some ideas of what to do. We want to see that you're doing the right thing. Uh, so those are the ones who are doing it right, is the ones who can figure out ways to take the data and make it answerable to the question at hand for the corporation, and those who can take their data and then go back to the, their their third parties and say, we want you to do X, Y, Z, and this is why. Maybe even this is this is how, which is a little bit of a different question because there's some liability issues there and some concerns. Um, but if you can direct them to the right resources, my goodness, what a different relationship you have with the third party on the cybersecurity conversation, right? They, they get that you care about their cybersecurity posture in a way that most people don't, which is kind of nice. Yeah. No, I think in, in a lot of cases, the, what I've seen is there's an appreciation, right, for the fact that you've taken the due diligence and we're mm -hmm. working together in order to create this, uh, you know, root of trust or this chain of trust across mm -hmm. all of the, the groups, which is, is fantastic. Yeah. Just from the other side that I see it as well as some of the larger organizations will have, you know, a web page dedicated to answering these questions here. Instead of me filling out your questionnaire, how about look at this information? And maybe if, you know, if, is there a specific question, a specific scenario? Uh, that you could work through here. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I'm mixed on those, right? Okay. So to the scoping question, um, it's great when you can show me you do these things. Fine, that you care about security. Fine. Di you know, how have they been tested? 
right? Yeah, I think that's where um, I like having those documents out there. But when you do that, in a lot of ways, you have to be prepared to keep showing more information because it's tied to scope, it's tied to the requirements, right? It's great that you, um, it, it's great that you have an ISO certificate, certificate. That's fantastic. Were the business units that I'm using in scope? That's the next question. And those pages are good to stop that first round. Like, but if anybody is going to ask, you know, kind of zero in on things from a specific scoping question or a specific regulatory requirement, you're going to have to get more information fast. And that, so I, I mix. A lot of vendors will throw that up there as kind of like, hey, this is a, and I get it, right? That's not a bad strategy. It's a, hey, here's stop asking me some questions because I, I really don't have the time to deal with 10,000 different requests. Right. I get it, right? It's a, it's a, it's a resource-driven conversation. But from the person asking those questions, sometimes it's like, wait, you just give me an, uh, you've given me a partial picture, but not a full picture. And um, but this goes back to that reasonable determination that we just talked about earlier, right? What's the reasonable with the data, right? I had, I had a client who was very concerned about um, a, a third party that they used, and I, I had to explain to, to them. I said, listen, I understand your concerns, right? You're only getting some information. You don't have a full picture here. But I'm like, they are a highly regulated entity in a highly regulated industry that you're using for really your lowest level of data. So I understand the spend might be high, there might be some concerns here, but if there's an issue, just you need to just do what you need to do because you're not gonna get more information out of this entity. They've given you all they can. You have to write, you have to do reasonable approach here. And if you were to be you know, called to the carpet by somebody, you know, you've got a nice email trail of ask and you've had some analysis and you've taken a look at your own controls to figure out what's the best things to do, then, then you've done what you can. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The, the way I look at it is those pages are good to kind of stop the inflow and you'll mm -hmm. have some, uh, some organizations that they're the level of maturity, like you say, you know, I've spent four hours total in doing this is, Oh, you've got a page. I'm going to just, you know, copy paste or I'll check to the page mm -hmm. checkbox. I'm good. I'm compliant. Mm -hmm. You're compliant. We can now engage in a relationship, but I think it's, and to your point, when we start to discuss and communicate and talk, that gets us to a, a, a better level of control. Because in some cases, like you say, the smaller organizations are not gonna have all the bells and whistles. They're not gonna have the security posture that you may want, mm -hmm. um, but you, you know, they're, they're a vendor. You're gonna have to deal with what is in play at the time and talk about what's continuous improvement. What does that mean to you? And how are you maturing your security program? And this is what we've seen. It, it should be a, a two-way conversation to say, you know, there's plans on the table, you know, we can't go into some detail, but here's our expectation for, you know, six months this time in next year. Um, you know, is it going to be a certification, which has some, you know, relevance, but to your point, is my product involved in that? Because that can be scoped completely out of a SOC uh -huh. 2 and ISO 27000, whatever, you know, certification you're thinking about, right? 100%. And to your point right there, there's there's an interesting dynamic going on here. For small entities who are being assessed, when I have a conversation, so sometimes I'm brought in to uh, represent the client with their smaller vendors and, and have a conversation with them. If I hear them say, well, we can't do, we can't share what we're doing here, but we have X, Y, Z and policies and plans in place. And I ask them questions and they have a reasonable approach back to me on it. I feel really, I, I go back to my client and say, I feel good about where they're at, right? They may not have everything in place appropriately, but they've thought through how they want to approach these things. Whereas if they just send me a blank sheet with some, some links and some information, I'm left not knowing things. So that goes to that communication aspect. Conversely, the bigger entities who get all these requests, like you said, you know, getting something on the phone to tell you what's going on is a real challenge unless you're one of the largest clients, an anchor client who they do tons, hundreds of billions of dollars. 
And that forces a lot of entities to really make those kind of tough decisions about like, well, what do we do, right? Diminishing returns, points of view on this one. But I think to, to, to some of the things that, you know, you raised earlier, that's okay, right? If you have a plan and approach, you've got some information around it, then you can make your decisions as you see fit. The small ones though, these especially feel like in nowadays, a lot of like the startup conversations, you know, if you can engage them in a conversation, that's a great first step, right? If you can really have a conversation with them, it's like, great, you tell me, just do, let's do a quick WebEx and show me a few things here and there. You can feel a lot better about that situation. Now, does that mean they're not going to have a breach or you're not going to have to deal with the fault? No, no, no. But you can re you can feel confident that if you've got two different choices and one's being responsive and one's communicating, the one that's communicating probably will keep being communicated even if bad thing happens. And that's going to help you when you've got issues with what they're – can you tell me how bad things are? You know what I mean? Like that's a, it's a good, good, good hallmark of a, of a strong relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think I'll just add to that is just it's the honest communication as well. You know, mm -hmm. don't portray the fact that you've got all of the controls in place working effective and then come to find out, you know, and we've seen in, in, in uh, supply chain security in, in the last few months, some of those issues come into the surface where, you know, if we'd have done a normal assessment, let's just say, you know, we did the questionnaire, it came back. Fantastic. You know, you've got yeah. everything in line. It looks great. You know, you're never 100% in control, right? You know, there's always an underlying risk, no matter what you're going to do. But um, yeah. yeah, supply chain is so much of this stuff. Um, how do you figure out, you know, an issue with somebody else's code when you can't look at the code, right? How do you figure out an issue with somebody else's business processes when you can't go there? And I think in many ways, that's actually why in our field, right, of cybersecurity, this has gotten a lot of short shrift because I'm, and, I, and actually I'm curious your thoughts on this too. As a CISO, you know, how much time can you spend in an issue that you can't really see all the answers, right? You're only limited to what you can be told and maybe some objective discrete sources of information, some other indicators of, 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 of data. At that point, you're like, I got to go with what I got. It's almost as if someone says, listen, I need you to make me a full seven course meal, but I'm just going to give you uh, buns, some burger patties and some lettuce. You're like, well, I can make a lettuce and hamburger salad and I make a hamburger for, for lunch and I can make a toasted bun for dessert. That's all you're going to get. Yeah, I can't make you a seven course meal with these three ingredients. You got to kind of, you got to kind of weigh it out. So I don't, I don't know your thoughts on it, but do you think is that one of the reasons why people don't put so much time into this as a CISO of an organization? Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. It's, you know, you get to the point where it's just churn, you know, yeah. and it's, I've got other things to do. You know, this is not just the one piece, you know, there's a, a, a complimentary, let's say menu. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, in, in order to prepare, right? Because this yeah. is just one element of that. There's there's other things that need to be taken care of. Yeah, I'm sure uh, you like me turning questions on you, by the way, Sean, in your podcast. <laughs> but it, it gets to the point where, you know, if we just think about it from a time-money relationship perspective mm -hmm. and putting the time, so if I have to put 40 hours into solving this problem, is the underlying value worth, you know, the underlying expenditure, Right. And we get to the point where it's, you know, we can go through asking the same questions and, well, I want to see all your policies and I want to see the code. You can't see the code. We're not mm -hmm. going to provide that to you. Mm -hmm. There's an underlying trust element that has to be in place mm -hmm. because that's intellectual property, right? So there's, you know, there's a lot of different elements here, but it's, to your point, is I can't spend all day worried about an, an one single element of a complement of controls in a security program. Now, conversely, though, right? What's the nightmare at night? It's not necessarily your stuff going down. It's getting in the email right. inbox where right. 
Dear, dear Sean, we regret to inform you that there was a major breach and CIS's no records were involved here, right? But that it's almost as if like, you know, that's the fear. And then you yep. have these regulators who are all like, hey, that's a real issue you should spend more time on, Sean. And so, but there's not that clarity of the dollars to return. And that's why I feel like so many, you know, I feel for third party service managers because I, I work alongside a lot of them, right? So I'm, I'm a little biased, but they are so overburdened, right? They're being told do more, do more. And then when they go to the table for, for, for investment, the team, which already most organizations cybersecurity, as you well know, is not giving the appropriate uh, resources it should, not CIS, of course, uh, but it's a, it's a challenge where, okay, now I gotta get this, I gotta get my little piece and someone says, great, what's the turn of investment for this? And you're like, well, I might stop maybe bad things from maybe happening to people that don't directly connect to us. And yeah, that's what I might stop. Right. You're gonna go, you get bounced to the back. And that's just, that's a fair, that's unfortunate. And I do feel like 2020, all the things that have been happening in 2020, it's actually causing a shift in a lot of people's perspective on this issue. A lot of people are waking up and going, Ooh, I need to care about this a lot more. Can we talk, right? What do you need? Like, it's not a blank check. Don't get me wrong. But there's a lot more people saying, I think I need to really spend more time on this issue to make sure we're properly, you know, looking at this and maybe potentially funding it more or doing different things or expanding teams. Seeing a lot more of that, especially in the last, I don't know, six months uh, that I ever did, you know, six months prior or even a year and a half or a year prior. Definitely, definitely. And and the same is, you know, we've got now internal... um, you know, on my team audit uh, staff that are oh, yeah. now looking at this more specifically because it does require the attention. It's not my attention that's required, but some attention is required in the organization. So we have to bolster that piece mm-hmm. of our security control program, right? And then mm-hmm. so we want to be responsive and we want to make sure we're providing the right information to the right people, right? Mm-hmm. So, so they can make effective decisions about the viability of our products and solutions. Uh, and yeah. then I'm doing the exact same thing in terms of then having, you know, the same audit staff reaching out to others because we're a consumer, right? You know, uh-huh. we're, we're in the supply chain. So we mentioned 2020. Um, we, I don't think we can have this conversation without at least talking about what are the lessons learned from 2020 that you're going to see that are going to change or um, enhance the industry that you're in for the next two, three years. <sighs> I tell you, I think when, when we all look back, like, like I'm going to go to the store and someone's going to give me, you know, $20 and 20 cents back. And I'm just going to flash back to just this entire year. <laughs> I feel like that's just going to happen to me. Um, so I think there's a lot of bad things that happened here. Uh, you know, you saw it. I saw it professionally, you know, different things that, that caused you know, suppliers just going out of business. Right. Can't do it. You know, we're shut down. Right. It's just not going to work. So people are, people have changed suppliers never never even meeting a person, right? So you know, I even myself, right? We picked up some clients I've actually never met in person. I haven't even done a video chat. It's all been over the phone, and right. that's just crazy to me. You know, I used to like, hey, shake hands, talk, you get the forms, you have a meeting, you talk about these different issues. Uh, you know, I used to do a little bit of on-site here and there, talk to people about their policies and procedures. I don't do that anymore. So I think. That is a representation of this new normal where everything we handle digitally, everything is handled virtually. And because of that, the digital supply chain risk that you're going to run into is huge, right? You need to understand who is accessing data, not just on your third parties, but their third parties. That's becoming very clear for a lot of purposes, right? You have CMMC, the standard that just came out from the U.S. government, right? They clearly understand it and it's very well timed, right? Because now it's huge priority to have that stuff kind of in process. And so you have these supply chains that have been shifted. There's no transparency, very, very little transparency of what's happening, who's, you know, what the system was made. So much was made, you know, overnight in the vacuum where third party had to catch up. 
Um, and they're trying to not make those mistakes again and again. So I think the biggest lessons learned is uh, a good third-party cyber risk management program is no longer going to be a want, but it's going to be a need in the next couple of years, right? You need to be able to show that a, you've taken a reasonable approach to risk, which is encompassing, right? We're seeing that term reasonable thrown around a lot of regulations out there. And that, you know, is good. Third-party cyber risk is part of this. You can't just say, oh, I sent questionnaires. Well, what'd you do with the questionnaires? I got answers. Did you review them? No. No, I didn't. Or did you do anything with the answers, right? So that you that, That's not going to be good enough from a regulatory point of view and from a business and board risk assessment point of view, right? The boards are going to say, well, that's not enough. So I think that's key. The other thing is the change to digital in terms of our process, right? So much more is going to be handled. There's not going to be as many. I don't, there'll still be on-site. So I think there's a need and role for that. But there's going to be so much less on-site activity, you know, going forward because we, you know, we only travel. We can't travel as much. The travel is going to be a limitation on it. It's a lot more going to be handled digitally. A lot more is going to be handled. Uh, leveraging electronic tools and resources that I think are going to be uh, and more and more is going to show up in that space in the next couple of years. Right. No, 100%. And then with, you know, we've um, we've seen supply chain security issues, you know, kind of cascading with still some of the fallouts coming from that. CMMC, it seems now we're creating, you know, the root of trust across not only third parties, but tertiary, you know, everybody that's included in a supply chain. Mm -hmm. um, how do we manage that? I mean, that just seems like a monumental task for a, let's say, defense contractor or whomever it is, is then trying to say, you know, everybody in my supply chain, I need to understand your security posture to make sure that my end product or the end underlying service is secured to, you know, the greatest degree we can get to at this point. How is how is that being received? So I think CMMC um, is a great driver of action, right? A lot of people, I think the federal government um, in many ways, and of course, these are my own opinions, uh, the federal government in a lot of ways has recognized that um, there is a need to better it. Like the attestation and assessment, self-assessment, you know, tells you some things, but really we need independent assessment, right? Because we people can check the box far too easily and we need to take action to better understand whether or not they actually are doing things. And so the CMC structure was stood up around that idea and say, okay, you know, things have been validated, right? We have the ability to look at this and they're meeting the standards we have. And I think the a lot of companies are, are, are having to take a look at this issue from the point of view of, okay, are we allocating the right resources? Are our subsidiaries and supply chain allocating the right resources? So there's gonna be some resource reallocation, whether it's increase in price of services, whether it's gonna be a change in that, effort or maybe people not bidding for certain contracts, that's something that might happen too because they can't meet the requirements. Um, and I think there's going to be a need for um, tooling and resources to automate, to speed up that process, to build around that. There is a lot of misinformation out there about what CMMC is and isn't, so I'd encourage people to really do their homework. Uh, there's, you know, go to the source, right, CMCAB or Pentagon, or um, there's another nonprofit, the CMMC Info Institute, I know it got stood up. You know, different places get information on. So try to learn as much as you can about the issue. I, I encourage people to, because there is a lot of misinformation on what you can do, what you can't do. But I think ultimately over the next couple of, um, over the next like year or so, we're going to see a lot more clarity around this issue and a lot more organizations really focusing in, okay, how do I interact with the supply chain? How does my supply chain actually handle this issue? And are there changes I need to either make or encourage to be made in the supply chain to meet these new requirements? Because I don't think they're going away. I mean, again, my personal yeah. opinion, things might change and politics play a role. Uh, but, you know, I, I see a lot of a lot of momentum behind it. 
Fantastic. And now, and then do you see in other industry um, categories, similar requirements coming up? You know, CMMC has a specific focus, right, in, from defense. Do you see other industries using that as a model because we all still need this security in our supply chain, do you think? Great question. I think the a lot of industries, so certain industries already have robust approaches to third parties, right? Medical because of HIPAA. Uh, finance because of New York CTFS, SEC, OCC guidances have already encouraged people to consider these things. Um, I, I see certain manufacturing might take much more of an interest. I think that's going to be an issue area where they're going to start really spending a little bit more time on is a ransomware and also challenges in their supply chain that, that become apparent. I think technology companies are going to have those issues, not just because of certain events, but in general, privacy, right? Understanding who has access to data, going back to even Cambridge Analytica a couple of years ago, right? That's been a lot of people in the tech space going, well, wait a second, where, where's the data going and how is it going and who's handling the data? And how is it being handled? I feel like if there is a change in supply chain globally, it's going to be driven by privacy in a lot of ways. There's a lot of appetite towards that conversation and, and the merging. I mean, as you know, Sean, privacy and security aren't the same thing, but they're cousins, right? They, they, they hang out at the family barbecue and they see each other a lot. Um, so there's a there's a there's a meshing there. So I think that you might start seeing more privacy related with security aspects that drive it. Um, I don't see industry regulating itself in this regard. I see um, I see a lot more of regulatory drivers than I do self regulation. Um, I might be surprised, uh, but I do see that privacy is going to start pushing the supply chain aspect. I think a lot more severely in the next couple of years because. It's not good enough to say, oh, I have all this data and I'm not, you know, it's not my responsibility when I give it to a processor to do a stuff. I don't, I'm not going to. No, you, you need to do your due diligence. You need to do your efforts there. And there's already stuff around that, right? You know, CCPA and others call GDPR call for it. But I think a nationwide or even international standard people can drive on that to be more specific on that issue is going to force that kind of similar level of action. Absolutely. No, definitely. Uh, and you're absolutely right. Privacy has such connotation now. Uh, that it is going to pull and manage all of these risks, right? Any type of risk that can affect is is going to drag everything together. I, I had a call with a client, and uh, we were talking, and they're like, you know, because we we're saying like kind of the challenge is getting the topic of third party stuff risk going more internally and everything like that. And she's like, you know, security is just not sexy anymore. You don't sexy privacy. And I was like, wait a second, you know, yeah, security is still pretty fun. I mean, I felt like kind of insulted, like I was too old. I have the same thing though when my kids talk about current events or music, I have no idea who different thing people are, so. Right, no, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's good, I like that, that's all. <laughs> so we've got companies that are moving into this assessment phase, but the question that I've seen that you know is contemplated is what am i trying to assess against mm -hmm. you know i just receive a bunch of answers you know is that good is that bad is it you know how do they move that internal program to a point where the making value-based decisions that reduce risk or that inform a risk decision so great question i'm pleased to say that you are part of my answer sean or cis in general so Perfect. Uh, I always tell people, start with, as you talked about earlier, what is the regulatory structures around the data? What does the data require you to protect? What's its sensitivity level? Because if a breach happens, that's what questions are going to be asked, right? Did you make sure that you, it, let's use New York State DFS, for example. Well, did you make sure your third parties use multi-factor authentication, right? Because you're required to use multi-factor authentication, and you're also required to make sure your third parties meet certain standards. So having a regulatory structure to point to is a great way to do two things. One, prove value back to the corporate. Listen, if we have an issue here, we can get fined and these fines can be X, Y, Z. 
So we need to take steps to reduce that risk. And this is why our metrics and controls are aligned with this standard. Conversely, your third parties, if you tell them, we want to make sure you do multi-factor. Okay, well, what, what does that mean? Like, how, how do you want to do it? Or we want you to do vulnerability testing. Okay, well, what, is, what does that mean, right? We follow, we're a New York State DFS regulated entity. We want you to follow the New York State DFS standard. Oh, I can go online and read the exact terms of the law. I can see what's being asked here. It's public, it's available, I can go get information. Same thing for anything else that's out there. Now, let's say that you have multiple standards you've been held to. You are HIPAA and New York State DFS, right? You're a bank that does hospital surgeries on the side. I don't know. But you got all these different standards to adhere to. Now you need a holistic one that you can go to. And that's when things like NIST or, as I frequently recommend, CIS are key, okay, right? Now you can do metrics against your maturity, right? There's maturity models for all these different frameworks, such as CIS with SysRAM and or the implementation groups, right? You can see how your doing against these metrics with your third parties and your third parties can go find information on how to better meet the requirements you're asking them to do. What do you mean by data protection? What do you mean by boundary defense and mechanisms around it? I'm just telling you about 12 and 13, go take a look at them, they're over here. And they can go find information. So to me, when we're starting to think about what metrics and what frameworks to be adhering against and looking at, you go public first. You go to either what's being regulated against or you go to the great stuff out there like at NIST or CIS or ISO or other, you know, COVID, pick your poison and you adhere to it, right? And that way, it's, I mean, I can't tell you how many calls I settled. I say, oh, my client's in a NIST shop. Oh, okay, NIST, great. Yeah, I'll find out how to answer that for you there. Or like, ah, NIST calls this, or you called this, or CIS says this, and you, you know, just say, no, we're a CIS shop. Oh, okay, great, cool, I can work with that. It just makes things easier, and it makes the same language in the conversation, which to our point earlier about communication is so critical. If people are talking about two different things, like, you know, uh, SDLC, right? Secure development lifecycle or software development lifecycle, right? There's a, there's two different interpretations of the same acronym. Understanding right. who has what and how, very critical. Absolutely. No, completely agree. And I think, you, you know, you put it eloquently that it, it's if we can talk the same language or follow at least the same approach to security control, whether it's CSF and we've got five levels, whether it's 20 from uh, the CIS controls version seven, we've got something to go back and forwards mm -hmm. with, right? We can talk the same language. And then that allows us to adjust an, our approach that then we can move forward together, right? And I think that's the, the whole piece is, is that uh, bringing people together. And again, you can have a lot of relationships, but you know, if we can get everybody on the same page and the same way of thinking, it's just gonna make things a lot easier and uh, uh, progress, you know, really maturing these underlying processes further. 100%, yeah. and I'm gonna take it as a very big point of praise that you said what I said was eloquent. Coming from you, that's a high praise. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So with the CIS controls, um, mm -hmm. obviously, you know, um, this is where they're housed. This is their home. Mm -hmm. They're still tattooed in my arm. Don't change them. It's a very painful process. <laughs> <laughs> was if there was one control, uh, and there may be others, but uh, sure. let's say there's one control that you would recommend to an organization that can help with managing risk in the space, in a general perspective, in terms of managing risk as appropriate for a third party. Where are you headed? Where where do you think is a good control that could be implemented? Um, you know, generally again for for a wide audience. So I would say thirteen uh, yep. data protection, just because you have what was one that even I think was implementation group one where inventory of your data, right? That's so critical to me. That's like if you if you got to do one thing in this space, understand where your what your data is, and 
than where it's going. The other thing I like about 13 is that, because I thought about 12 too, like boundary defense is cool because, it, you know, there's such interconnectedness. So controlling that, tra that traffic and, and understanding where it's flowing is critical. But I think ultimately data is just going to live everywhere now, right? It just your data is everywhere. You got to just trust that it's being encrypted and secured properly. And 13 has aspects of it. You know, I can't tell you how many third-party breaches are caused because somebody doesn't know how to encrypt a cloud server appropriately. Like, it's just, it's just amazing. Like, I kind of wish, like, you know, I could just do classes on that. <laughs> like, this is critical. <laughs> I mean, I work myself in the job then. But I think it's, uh, it, I think 13 would be the one I'd recommend to anybody. Like, I got to do this. What's the one controller can do to start doing this? I think 13 is the one that I would align with. Exactly, exactly. Completely agree. I'm always, you know, if you ever talk to me about where you start in terms of security, it's always with the data. Yes. I can when I can see where it flows, I can see where it's stored, I can see the processes. That gives me such a wealth of information to understand our posture, risk appetite, mm -hmm. you know, all of those things basically fall for me into that data element. Uh, and thirteen just uh you oh, know represents you were preaching that when you came aboard when I was with you guys with the CIS. You you preached in the beginning. It's true. It's hundred percent true. Data data calls the shots. And it's so funny, right? Like data is one of the few resources that any organization has that in and of itself has its own regulatory requirements structures with it, no matter where it is or how it has like like my laptop doesn't have any regulatory structures. I mean, yeah, I can't break under the electronics uh uh telecommunications act, can't do certain things to it, but the data can go anywhere, and that data has to be protected across its own things, whether my, my company wants to or not. That's the rules. Whether I want to or not, that's the rule. Whether even the person who gave it to me wants to or not, that's the rules. Like That's, that's such a crazy thing if you think about it. Like, just the words and the information has its own powerful controls. Fascinating. Absolutely. I mean, I find it oh, fascinating. You know, the taxonomy of data, and then it, you know you move an element into a system You've, that system's just been reclassified. You know, you, you've got new controls that have just been inherited uh -huh. because that data element exists in that uh -huh. uh, in that particular. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. It just changes the whole equation. It does, absolutely does. So I'm, we're going to try a little experiment. Okay. This is what I call the James Lipton set of security questions. All right. Okay? So I've got nine. So in the in the element of the actors studio. Let me just grab my. Uh, grab yeah, my yeah, that's here. fitting for you because you can be yeah. James Lipton. You sound yeah. smart well, like him. Like a, I, what am I supposed to be like? Uh, you know, Will Ferrell? Like I don't know how to handle this stuff. Put <laughs> <laughs> well, a blackout. That's good. I like, that. I like that. I like that. So I've got my questions. Okay. There's nine. Okay. Um, so we'll do it in in honor of James Lipton. Okay. Uh, these are the security version. So. First, what is your favorite CIS control? Five, of course. Perfect. What is your least favorite part of your profession? I think it's that, I think it's a sense of unease when you have to make a 90% prediction when everything's 100% unclear. Perfect. Why do you like cybersecurity? Uh, it's, it's a very multi-layered and evolving problem. Why don't you like cybersecurity? Please see above. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. What source of data, log, or telemetry do you love? I've been playing with cyber risk rating tools a lot lately. I find them to be really, really cool. They're very, uh, just, a, I know we're going off sketch here for James Lipton stuff, but like, it, it's really neat to see that the data that these objective, discrete data they can pull from different sources. It's been a lot of fun. I've been playing with that a lot lately. Oh, awesome. 
Awesome. What is the biggest waste of time in cybersecurity? Uh, trying to get to 0% uh, click rate on phishing. Fish testing. Can't. Perfect. Impossible. Perfect. What profession, other than your own, would you like to attempt? Uh, I will be this, I think, one day. I'd like to be a writer. I have like one bad novel already. I'm planning on getting another couple of bad novels done, and eventually maybe I'll send them to a publisher and tell me how bad they are. But yeah, that's my hope. Oh, wow. Oh, fantastic. Um, what profession would you not like to do? Mathematician. Mathematician. Okay. I'm no good at that. Okay. <laughs> when you've reached the end of your career, how do you want to be remembered? That I helped a lot of people. That's nice. it. Is it? Perfect. Perfect. Thanks. Those are the nine. That was awesome. <laughs> oh, good. Really, that was great. Nice. Fun, sir. Well, that thank you. That was fun. I, I, I don't get uh, nine short answer questions on a regular basis. I should do I should do that more often with people. I should do that like with every do like interviews. So I'm like, okay, this is it. It's nine questions. That's all you get in this interview. And then we're going to be done. <laughs> in and out. Fantastic. Now, I wish third-party uh, risk management questionnaires were as easy. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I uh, I, uh, I had this exercise where, like, what are the three questions we'd ask? Like, what are the three questions? Right. And I struggled with it. And ultimately, it was like, how often do you patch? Do you have a policy? And uh, do you use multi-factor? That's really what I came up with. Like, if I can get those three resolved, like, I will probably, I'll feel better about it. But nobody, I've never, never had a client say, okay, we're good. We'll just do those three. I'm like, Really, right. like, what are the three questions? Like, give a policy, how many patches, and do you use multi-factor? I think you're good at that point, but, you know, I don't... Sure. There's all room for other ones. That's my personal take. But, yeah, I wish I could do those things. Like, Here's three. There you That's go. Awesome. That's awesome. So, Ryan, as we wrap up, is there anything that you want to leave the viewers with in terms of your experience, what you're seeing, recommendations? Um, so, I'll, I'll say, you know, two things. Uh, so, one... I think one of the things that I really like about third-party cyber risk is uh, it is an area where they're actually, even even though it's not, you know, it's commercial, it's private, there's lots of other businesses. This is all part of the, you know, to our conversation, dollars and cents. It's an area where um, the, the common good can happen. If I help your third party get better, everybody who's a third party is now better. I equate it to the, the equation of like, if I clean this pond, the entire watershed is now cleaner. And that is a really rewarding and exciting thing. And I wish more people would see this profession as doing that and see this profession in themselves. And the other thing I would say uh, to anybody listening to this who is engaged in and around third-party separate risk or knows someone involved in third-party separate risk, reach out to them and share, you know, tell them you appreciate the work they're doing for one, because I feel like many of them are underappreciated. Um, but if you're in the space, seek out others. Your, your problems are the same problems that the people are running into. And we, if we share and talk, there, there's actually a great organization called the Third-Party Risk Association that got stood up recently. Um, oh. there, there, you know, it's, it take the time to share with your peers because this is an area, I mean, much of, much of cybersecurity. Yes. Sharing information is key, but I feel like this one, it's so nascent that there's plenty of room to share best practices and really make a measurable difference in the cyber risk posture of your vendor ecosystem. And then by doing so, everybody else's vendor ecosystem. It's like, you know, it's a, there's a good knock on effect to everybody that happens when we all take a little more time and effort into it. Exactly. Exactly. We're sharing that ecosystem, right? So yeah, makes sense. hundred percent. Absolutely. Ryan, it was great to see you. Same. Thank you so much for doing this. <laughs> Fantastic. It was great. I really appreciate it. And to our viewers, thank you so much. Um, we'll have Ryan back. We'll get. We'll see how uh, how fast the uh, third party risk management industry is maturing. Mm -hmm. um, but with that, thank you so much, Ryan.
100 percent great to see you again same it's been a pleasure i I was looking forward to this all week so thank you so much for this opportunity this is great fantastic well great and thank you everybody see you soon thank you for listening to the show today if you are interested in learning more about how to grow your cybersecurity program, the free tools available to help you on your journey, or to get involved with the CIS volunteer community, visit our website at cisecurity.org. Start secure and stay secure.